Hi, this is Jeanette Creamore, or you may know me as JC. Welcome to Laugh, Learn, Lead, a podcast show that helps project sponsors, project managers, and their teams shape their project success stories. I'll be sharing interviews that bring a different perspective to what project success looks and feels like, as well as unpacking our conversations to provide insights and practical tips. Stay tuned and enjoy. Hello and welcome to my first podcast episode. I'm your host, Jeanette Cremor, or you can call me JC. I'm excited and yet a little bit nervous as I share with you today my story, who is JC and how did she end up here, the creator and teacher of the project ecosystem. Most people would say I have a reputation of being a strategic thinker, fun maker and someone who gets the job done. For me, it's as simple as helping others create their project success stories and truly believe there's more to projects and budgets, schedules, risks and issues. It's also about the relationships, communication and leadership. Growing up on a farm in the country town Bundaberg, just four hours north of Brisbane, you may know it for its sugar, tomatoes, strawberries, avocados, the very popular Bundaberg rum and the beautiful surrounding beaches. Life for me, though, was simple. It was fun and yet hard work. Each day was routine. We all had a job to do. Before school, after school, there was chores to do around the farm and the house. And mum and dad relied on us to to follow through and get those jobs done so it made it easier for everyone. And they weren't tough things to do. They were simple things, feed the dog, take the clothes off the line. But yet we would wander up the farm and help mum and dad out by weeding helping out. I remember um, dad teaching me how to drive a tractor when I was about eight years old and that was to help him unload the irrigation pipes. And there was other simple chores like uh, peeling potatoes, setting the table. And for me, that was just part of living and being part of a team. Um, Mum and dad never discriminated between me and my brother. If there was something to be done, they would show us and teach us and and ask us to just get it done. So there was no, um, for me, pushing back of no. And maybe that was because I was a curious girl. I always wanted to understand why and how come. And so that curiosity buzz in me was fulfilled when mum and dad taught me, you know, how to cook, um, how to um, load load a a truck with um, produce, um, um, how to pack tomatoes in a box, um, how to label so they'd be transported um, to the proper markets. And so for me, the grounding and the learning as a farm girl um, about teamwork and resilience and taking responsibility um, is probably something that I've really um, embedded in um, each each of what I do now and, and how I looked taking on opportunities as they arose in the future. Growing up, though, I really wanted to be a math science high school teacher. As early as I can remember, I had my dolls and teddies lined up in my bedroom, uh, reading a story or practicing or pretending to run my own classroom. And as I progressed through high school, maths and science became something I was really, really interested in and quite good at. And so that's where I thought my career journey would go was down that whole teacher high school path. But life isn't as always as we planned and we have to make decisions. And growing up, I um, 
contributed um, to my own money by taking on some casual jobs before school. Um, some was car washing. That was before school, getting up at five o'clock in the morning and riding my bike um, into town and washing the cars and getting home uh, ready for school. Um, also of weekends, helping out a family catering business as a kitchen hand. And then at the age of 15, I made the decision to leave school in year 10. Um, my family situation wasn't going to support me to go on to university and to achieve that dream of a high school teacher. Um, and that's that was okay for me. That was about just getting through and knowing that uh, whatever was going to come next was, was right for me. I was with mum shopping one day and um, our local butcher just asked me what I was going to be doing and I said, no, I'm, I've actually left school and I'm looking for work and he suggested uh, I head over to the, the office and the, um, the, the retail shop over north side in Bundaberg and see if they had some work because he thought that there was something there and yes, I started my first real job in a butcher shop packing pet mints and the boys initiation was uh, to put some pig's eyes in the pet mints so as I was packing the pet mints I'd have the surprises of pig's eyes looking up at me and um, so yeah although it was um, fun it was also a little bit daunting as I uh, would you know suffer the the smells and, and the jokes but uh, life was pretty good in the butcher shop and yet I knew that's not what I wanted to do and, you know, that curiosity buzz that I have uh, in me, um, I put up my hand about six weeks after into um, the butcher shop side and actually asked could I help out in the office. And um, being a science maths student, I didn't really understand office work. I'd never seen a computer or a switchboard or um, accounts and money and things like that and yet they were willing to teach me so here I am learning a switchboard and um, learning how to use basic computers and um, and I had my first initiation into what truly financial management and compliance is at the age of 16 when the Australian Taxation Office um, dropped by and did a scheduled audit um, which is um, normal um, back in those days because there was nothing really electronic. They had to come on site and physically look through records to ensure that uh, financially and taxation obligations were being met. But that to me was quite daunting because I had no idea some of the questions they were asking and just that I knew that if I sat back and listened and observed that I would learn something I truly did. And I believe that that was my first true exposure to financial management and understanding capital and operating expenses and and cash flow and bank transfers and things like that. So I stuck that out for seven years um, until I had uh, my gorgeous daughter, Kirsty. I unfortunately separated from my husband uh, before um, while I was pregnant and so it's been a life as a single mum just Kirsty and I and I truly would not have changed any of that because the past 30 years with her um, she has been my biggest teacher and my inspiration. After two years of enjoying um, being a new mum and, and nurturing this beautiful little girl I got that curiosity buzz again and I thought, no, nah, 
there's something else that I need to do. I need to get back in and, and learn and, and, and take on something of a bit of a challenge. And I noticed in the local paper there was a, um, an ad for a TAFE course for a sugarcane juice chemist. And my grandfather had a cane farm and so I knew the farm side of um, sugarcane and I knew that somehow that rocked up as brown raw sugar on um, my grandparents' table for us to, you know, sprinkle on our cereal but really didn't ask why until I seen this ad and I went, yeah, let's, let's do that. And it was a challenge. It was actually nine subjects of physics and chemistry and lab techniques and um, data analytics. And yet I got through it um, and passed with honours and was offered two jobs. I took the role as the Isis Mill um, sugarcane juice chemist. One, because it was actually the role that um, allowed me to take the responsibility of process efficiencies in the mill. So my role was to um, measure, record and analyse the um, juices from the mill, the process efficiencies. And if there was any discrepancies, I would have to alert the engineer on where they had a, um, a problem in the mill. And it could have been from anything from crushing the cane um, that actually um, crushed out the juice and what we call the bagasse, which is the fibres left over. Or it could have been in our centrifugals where the, the sugar spins around like in these big washing machines and it um, pushes out molasses and, uh, and the sugar granules. And so my role was to record that and analyse it. So for me, I loved that job. I really, really loved it because... It was so process control and life cycle management. They were my groundings for understanding what um, steps in a life cycle meant and the cause and effect that if you didn't fix something early in the process that it was going to fail big time at, by the time it got to the end. And so I really, really loved that job. But unfortunately, um, a single mum, the lifestyle didn't support us. So I had to look for something else that was going to provide us some security and comfort. The public service was something that I thought um, was possible and in, the in those times we had to sit a public service exam. So I sat the exam and I got a, quite a high ranking and six weeks later was um, interviewed at the Department of Main Roads for an accounts payable clerk. And I was, yeah really um, thankful that that was my entry what I would probably call now the first real project management experience that I got was in government it didn't take me long to ask questions in corporate services about um, payroll and assets and record keeping and document management because accounts payable got a little bit boring for me and so I asked where else I could help out and they said, well, um, contract administration with the engineers. They were looking for someone to start helping them um, with the road construction and the road maintenance programs. And so, yes, I toddled off upstairs to the engineering department and helped them out. And that's where I really got hands-on and understanding project management methodologies, um, contract management 
um, variation of scope, tracking finance, and being part of the purchasing and the logistics of organising materials to site and on time. And, and if we didn't get to there on time, what it actually meant, you know, crews weren't able to work, which meant there was downtime, which meant there was money burn and things like that. So that was uh, really um, something I was so grateful for. And But also I think a credit to myself where I uh, would continually put up my hand and, and learn something new. When my daughter was 10 years old, I, I took a leap of faith and actually um, left Bundaberg. I uh, was talking to a lot of people in Brisbane um, and was excited to hear some of the things that they were involved in, some of the projects they were involved in. And, and um, I applied for a job in the, as a manager of IT logistics for the Department of Transport. And I, and I got the role and so my daughter and I moved to Brisbane and it was probably, I think I was the first one in our family to actually break away from the traditional farm, country town um, upbringing and moving to the big smoke was scary um, but exciting. Uh, working in IT was so different than what I was used to in, in roads. There was a lot of jargon and but I had great people around me and my first boss that I'm actually going to be interviewing in this series, Dana, was such a great mentor for me that she um, allowed me to learn and ask lots of questions and not feel judged or that I was um, unworthy or stupid. It was just me being curious and wanting to do better in my job. So that kind of got me into that technology industry uh, by working in the logistics. But once again, I wanted to learn more and so was asked to help out the project management office. They were rolling out a new methodology and they needed an advisor and a support person for the project managers. And so that's where I got my hands kind of dirty and um, understanding what the project managers require to make them successful, but what my role was in a project management office to provide them the tools and the techniques and the governance to help them create their own success. And so that was kind of my first true hands-on understanding project management from the governance side and from the controlling reporting side. But me, once again, wanted to know more. And so I asked, can I have my own project? And my first ever project I was given um, was already planned. And so when it was given to me, I was, it was about me executing the plan. So it was the relocation of the um, transport call centre. There was 100 staff that needed to be relocated from uh, Fortitude Valley to Spring Hill. And uh, so that included a whole um, PABX system, um, Oh, I'm not going to go into the technology part, but there was five servers, 100 desktops. Um, we had to rewire the new building. We had to put in um, an ex uh, what we call fibre, um, so a connectivity between buildings in Spring Hill. Um, and I had the most tremendous um, team leaders that just knew and they were experts. And so... I, my role was really just coordinating and making sure that they had everything that they needed to get their job done. 
But because this was a significant move, we spent a fair bit of time risk mitigation um, because it was the 1300 number for transport. And if that failed, that meant that transport had no um, connection to the community. So we risk mitigated it to death. We had um, different um, transportation routes for the trucks. We had the best Telstra engineer flown up from Melbourne. I had um, a 72-hour cutover plan details, minute by minute, some testing to ensure that um, our cutover was uh, well planned. And yet the funny thing is something out of our control nearly ruined us, and that was the Charlotte Exchange, Charlotte Street Exchange had a fire um, in it that Friday night when we started our cutover, and so we are in the hands of Telstra and uh, hopefully that they were going to work their little butts off to to get us back our connectivity into one of our main network points. And good news story, um, we did. We were back up. I think our final test happened at 5.30 on the Monday morning, which meant we had probably about two hours up our sleeves before go time. So although that was um, a memorable project moment, it was definitely one that taught me about risk mitigation and how you have to uh, really invest in things that could uh, could happen. But when it does, you still need to have a great team around you to respond. Transport and main roads is probably one of my favourite places, working with engineers and some leading edge technologies and some of the people that I'll be interviewing over my series really gave me some good grounding at Transport and Main Roads and I'm very thankful for their patience as they taught me about application development and infrastructure, rebuilds and data warehouses, licensing and registration systems and how crucial data is. But my journey in Queensland Government um, also took me to other agencies and communities, disability and education. And I went from um, leading my own projects to running my own programs and and uh, forever grateful for government. But I ended up having a reputation of being the person who could rescue projects. And so I would be called to come and pick up a project that was already in flight and potentially was going to be way off track. And so over time, I've built my own toolkit of a checklist of the things to look for in the health of a project and what actions that I would take to get it back on track. So after, I think it was about 20 years, I decided to pack up and leave and head to Melbourne to, I think, learn something new. Um, I wanted to get involved in the big corporates and understand um, profit-driven change agendas rather than legislative or compliance agendas. And yet, funny enough, um, I've been steered to um, education. Um, My first role here in Melbourne was with Victoria University. And I've worked in a couple of universities and also with higher education sector regulator, TEXA, um, with a little bit of a tinkering in Village Roadshow um, with um, their digital strategy in um, for um, title acquisitions and also for theme parks in um, a new ticketing system. So I've probably been involved and led everything from small projects to major transformations, um, going from paper-based organisations to their first ever 
online system to migrating infrastructure from on-site to the cloud to helping organisations unpack and and understand process online. Um, and so for me, that's really been my lessons in government and down here in Melbourne has been about relationships. And although that you have your own toolkit, it's the culture of the project. It's the behaviours of the organisation that really set you up for success. So two years ago, I decided to create my own learning framework called the Project Ecosystem. And that's my 20 plus years of practical experience and my lessons and and each of my projects as case studies of the key ingredients that we need to consider when we're making decisions about what projects we're going to invest in. And I'm not going to go into much more detail today, but for me, um, I'll share that with you next episode on what is the project ecosystem and why I think it holds the key ingredients for project success. So my life's been pretty full um, and yet my curiosity has probably been the thing that I've listened to the most and that is that when I ask a question or want to know why, I will put up my hand to learn something new and by doing that, I get offered opportunities to take on something bigger and better, a new challenge, something a little bit more complex and my four key snapshots in my career has been be self-aware, really understand what your purpose and your passion and your desires are. Look for opportunities. Put your hand up to learn, but just don't look in front of you. Um, look beside you, behind you, up, you know, in front of you. And, and look for things that you might not necessarily think that would suit you, but you kind of got a little bit of curiosity about it and, and you want to have a go. The third thing for me is accept diversity. No way could I have got to where I am today unless I've had different people, different perspectives, different skills in my teams, people that challenge my thinking, people that offered alternate ways to go about solving problems, people that celebrated success differently, that they brought their own knowledge and their skills to the table and together the inclusiveness and the collaboration created our project success stories and I couldn't have done it alone. And the fourth thing is maintain your network. Look, there's no doubt that as you manoeuvre through your career, you're going to find people that contribute to your stories. You're going to find people that are your mentors. You're going to find people that are your teachers. You're going to find people that invest in you. So I truly encourage you to maintain your network and take time to find out how you can help someone else. Because when you help someone else, you're actually teaching yourself how to be better as well. And so they are, they're my four career snapshot tips on what you, what you could do and have a career journey that fulfills your dreams. One, be self-aware. Two, look for opportunities. Three, accept diversity. Four, maintain your network. Now, while I was busy working, I also found time for my passion, um, sport. I spent 25 years in IFL industry as a volunteer 
everything from um, club secretary, um, treasurer to um, regional director to um, state carnival coordinator um, to talent program uh, administrator. And I did that with um, some wonderful AFL staff um, who are truly, truly dear friends of mine, some wonderful teenage boys and girls that had a dream of becoming an AFL player one day, um, some amazing supportive parents, some incredible coaches. And for me, I think that the environment of professional sport and how we can prepare our youth for um, not just their own football talent, but also their self-leadership skills on how they can be a better person and how that sets them up to achieve their dreams of potentially entering the AFL has no doubt been the most contributing ingredients for my belief that we can learn so much in project management from our professional sporting clubs. I was privileged enough to listen to Lee Matthews one day in a level three coaching course. And I'll never forget how he simplified the game. Um, and as he was talking, I'm running through my head, oh, that's what a project's like. We actually have a strategy, you know, which is about them setting out their their objectives for the year as, as a club. And then he talked about game plan. And I went, actually, that's my project plan, which is the approach we're going to take. And, and then he talks about everyone having a role and responsibility and how you have to have a trust. I went, oh, that's that's me and my project team. You know, we need to build a trusting, safe environment, but we also need to take responsibility um, for our role and, 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 and make sure that we deliver for the other team members. And then he mentioned the, the crucial step of review and feedback. I went, yes. So I use a lot of sporting analogies probably um, when, when I unpack a project. And um, so bear with me. You may see or hear a fair bit about me I'm spending time of weekends um, with my sport. So if, I, if I'm not cheering on my beloved Gold Coast Suns, yes, I'm a foundation member from Queensland, um, living in Melbourne, um, watching some of my kids play local footy or cheering them on at the pool. If I'm not at sport, I'll be with family and friends, indulging in some magnificent food and wine and just enjoying life. So if you'd like to know more about what I get up to, connect with me on LinkedIn and follow me on Instagram and Facebook. I really appreciate you listening and hope you found my story helpful in recognising your strengths and how you've gained your skills and expertise in the roles you've taken on. Thank you for listening and I hope you have a few ideas to take action. I would love for you to rate and review the show. I too need feedback to learn. Cheers for now. Remember, a day without laughter is a day wasted.